Today on Blue 58, after a decade and a half of stability with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, the Packers are facing uncertainty at the game's most important position. What do we expect from the quarterbacks on this year's team, and what do they have to do to meet them? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. We're talking quarterbacks today as we really dive into our position-by-position preview for this year's Packers team. I'm excited to be doing actual preview work. We've kind of been nibbling around the edges, asking questions about this roster. Today, we start the real work of talking position-by-position about what the Packers have, what they have to do to succeed, and what we expect from the guys on the team. And We'll talk a little bit more about the process to getting to, to some of those conclusions here in a second. First, though, I want to answer a question from a listener. Mello in our Discord server asked for a little bit more information about Malik Heath, a wide receiver who's been doing some apparently pretty good work in OTAs and in minicamp this week. So here's what I've got on Malik Heath. He's one of the Packers' undrafted free agents from this year. Played at Mississippi, six foot two, 213 pounds. Good size. Unfortunately, the good measurables end about right there because he had a difficult day of testing at the NFL Combine, was a Combine invite, and we'll talk about why here in a second, but 4.64 40-yard dash, 4.46 in the short shuttle, not great, in fact, that's poor, a three-cone of 6.96, which is good, but not great. The vertical leap, 34 inches, impressive for a normal person, not impressive for an NFL wide receiver, his broad jump, 10 feet, 4 inches, which is bordering on elite, so some good explosion numbers there. Overall, just an okay athlete, with some pretty good size. He had a very long journey to get to this point. He started with two years at Copiah Lincoln Community College, then spent two years at Mississippi State, then finished out his career at Mississippi. Actually started 10 games uh, for Mississippi State uh, while he was there in 2020. Uh, He then finished out his last season of college football at Mississippi, and that's noteworthy because he actually led Mississippi in receiving yards his final year there, much higher, had more yards than the much higher regarded Jonathan Mingo, also a Mississippi project. Now, they're a prospect. Now, Mingo is a much better athlete. He was one of the guys we talked about about as being a potential Packers target in this year's draft. The Packers don't go that direction. Instead, they take his teammate as an undrafted free agent, and we've got Heath in Green Bay now. I think there's a chance he's a little bit underrated as a prospect. A bad day of testing probably sunk him further down draft boards than he should have. Nevertheless, he was not like a world-beating prospect. Dane Brugler, just for one data point, had him as his 51st best receiver, and he had 56 total receivers that he looked at in this year's draft class. So not near the high end of the class. And just for comparison, uh, Grant DuBose, the Packers' seventh-round pick, was Brugler's 27th-ranked wide receiver prospect. So not like a highly regarded receiver prospect, but productive in college, good size, and he has scrapped and clawed to get to this point. So as long as he keeps reducing, he's going to continue to get opportunities. And there are going to be opportunities in Green Bay this year. They've got to fill out five or six receiver spots. Yes, they've got three draft picks from last year, a draft pick from this year, Bo Melton, the guy they like a lot, kicking around. That is going to account for most of the spots they have available. But if you can play special teams, if you can be a productive receiver, there are going to be practice squad spots available. Showing out in minicamp is never a bad way 
to start laying some groundwork for a practice squad job. And then from there, you never know what happens. Somebody's going to get hurt. Somebody else around the league is going to take a little bit of interest in you. If you produced in college, you're on somebody's radar. And I guess that's where Heath is right now. So that's what I know about Malik Heath. We probably won't learn a lot more until we get to actual training camp and, you know, preseason games and all that good stuff. But at least I can give you a little bit more information about him right now. But let's talk about quarterbacks. And more importantly, at least right now, let's talk about how we set our expectations for players. And this is something that we've really tried to dial in on basically over the entire life of the Power Sweep and Blue 58. We want to try to establish what we're expecting from players so we can more effectively evaluate them at the end of the season. It's easy to sit and talk about where a guy should end up or should have ended up if you're just looking at him from the end of the season looking back. It lets you, I I think doing it that way makes you much more a prisoner of the moment. You are relying on what you've seen from guys last and and what you thought they were, you know, doing at the end of the season. If you do it now, you can really kind of level set before you really dive into anything on the season. And then when you look back, you can say, okay, were we too high on him? Were we too low on him? Did we get it just right? I think we we hit it. I, I think last year's examination of wide receivers is a, a perfect example of why we do this. Because the expectations were, were pretty moderate, like high moderate, on both Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. Because the fact of the matter is, things are pretty crazy coming in as a, a young wide receiver. It's difficult to establish yourself. So unless you try to manage your expectations going in, I think you'll either end up on the too high side, talking about Christian Watson looking back, especially on the back half of his season, or you might come out feeling a little bit too low when you look at how Romeo Dobbs finished out the season. Talking about it now before you've even really seen a whole lot from these guys, I think is the real way to do it. So what are we talking about in terms of expectations? We sort everybody into one of four groups. Guys for whom we have high expectations, moderate expectations, low expectations, or no expectations at all, the none category. Guys with high expectations are people you would expect to be core players on a given team. Veterans, free agent signings, guys the Packers have spent significant draft capital on, guys you would expect to be a part of your core roster. These are the guys that are the most important, and these are the guys that we are going to be the hardest on as a result. You're going to need significant statistical output or some other kind of significant role that you play on the Packers to meet expectations. Guys that fall in the moderate group are key backups, your role players, guys who have a specific roles but are not necessarily counted upon to elevate those around them. How well are you doing what the Packers asked you to do? If they ask you to do very little and you do very little very well, you've probably met expectations as a role player. If they ask you to do a lot and you come up short, even if they're asking you to do a lot, you you didn't manage to get to what they needed you to do. Even if you're not one of the core players, you're pr- still probably going to end up in and not didn't meet expectations sort of evaluation at the end of the year. Guys that are on the low end, roster fillers. Uh, every free agent really starting from the, the start of training camp to the end of the season defaults to here. Undrafted free agents probably at best are going to end up being low expectation sort of guys. 
you're meeting expectations basically by getting on the roster, and that's about it. We're not counting on you for much. Just show up and don't make the Packers look dumb for putting you on the roster. The no expectations guys, pretty self-explanatory. Roster fillers, camp bodies, things like that. So with that as our backdrop, let's dive into the Packers quarterback room. As an overview, this is a pretty young position group. Danny Etling is the oldest. He's only 28. Jordan Love, kind of amusingly, is the youngest of the three. But suffice it to say, inexperience is going to rule the day here. Only one of these guys has thrown an NFL pass. They just don't have a lot of experienced quarterback talent in camp this year. I'd be moderately surprised if they didn't add one more arm before camp, just so you have four guys to help you run practice. But I think we know the quarterback room pretty well at this point. What do we expect from them, though? That is the real question. Let's work our way low to high on this group, starting with Danny Etling. He is heading into the second year of his second stint with the Packers. He was actually briefly with the Packers back in 2021. And when I say briefly, I mean very briefly, just six days after Jordan Love got COVID, which I had completely forgotten about, but just another twist and turn in Jordan Love's long road to becoming the Packers starting quarterback. You may be interested to know that Etling has actually had multiple stints with two different NFL teams. The Packers, of course, but he was also signed by the Seattle Seahawks on two different occasions. And to this point in his NFL career, he has been a member of six different NFL teams and one CFL team. And I would argue he has hit the interesting journeyman stage of his NFL career, though he has yet to actually appear in an NFL game. Etling falls pretty comfortably into our no-expectations camp. How could it really be anything else? No one really expects anything from your third quarterback. Etling is, at best, the Packers' third quarterback this year. That's not to say he's a boring player. He was exciting in last year's preseason at a long touchdown run that Aaron Rodgers got to comment on as it happened. He just happened to be doing a sideline interview at the time. He's a, he's a good athlete. He even played wide receiver for a short time in his NFL career or back when he was with the Patriots. He's an interesting player. It's just that no one really expects anything of him, and if we get to the point where Danny Etling is playing meaningful snaps for the 2023 Green Bay Packers, something has gone horribly wrong. So how do you meet no expectations? Etling's ceiling, as far as what we expect from him this year, is just locking down a practice squad spot. Get to the practice squad, you've done it. Good job, Danny Etling. Stick around an NFL team for another year. I predict that's what is going to happen for Etling this year. He'll be the Packers' third quarterback this year. They don't really have any viable alternatives at this point, and their salary cap constraints are such that they really can't sign a veteran backup. They're not going to keep just two guys. So you've got Jordan Love, you've got Sean Clifford. Etling might as well be your third guy unless you can get some veteran who's willing to be a practice squad guy, who's cut from another team and is willing to play for essentially peanuts. That is really the only circumstance where you'd sign a guy to replace Etling. Unless you've got some more polished quarterback prospect that you can bring in, there's really no reason to just go away from Etling. You've sunk this much time into him. You might as well continue to play it out. Sean Clifford is the next man on our list. A rookie, a fifth-round pick, comes to the Packers 149th overall. Some consternation over the pick at the time, but I think looking back, you can you can understand why they made it. A run on quarterbacks, you got to have one at some point. 
Clifford just is the guy. And a fifth round pick is not the end of the world in terms of draft capital. They had another, another pick coming up like 10 picks later anyway. It ends up not being that much of a deal. It really doesn't seem likely that they missed out on anybody of consequence. As far as expectations for Clifford, I put him in the moderate group. Unfortunately for Clifford, none of the reasons that we bump him up to that level really have anything to do with him. He's got a specific role to play. Backup quarterback is a thing. The Packers know they needed one. They know they can't sign a veteran, so they take the best one they can get, and it happens to be fifth-round rookie Sean Clifford. To the extent that the Packers are trying to win in 2023, you know you have to have a backup quarterback, and he is central to that plan. He's the guy who's going to keep the seat warm for Jordan Love if things really go sideways at some point in the 2023 season. Further, though, if he is playing, the season is cooked anyway. So you can't really go high. You can't say, well, he's the emergency guy. If something really goes bad with Jordan Love, Clifford's going to come in and save the day. The Packers aren't expecting that. We shouldn't either. And finally, you can't ever really have high expectations for him because he was probably overdrafted. The Packers took him probably before they would have liked to, but they knew they needed a backup quarterback, so they went and got the best one that they could, and that guy happened to be Sean Clifford, which is not his fault. Jordan Love has had to endure more than his fair share of criticism over the past three years now just because the Packers traded up to get him in the first round. He didn't ask them to do that. They chose to make him the first round pick, the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers, and he's had to endure the expectations that come with that. Well, he didn't ask for that. Sean Clifford didn't ask to be drafted where he was. Yet here we are, two guys who the Packers ended up with because they liked them and needed them and or decided that they needed them, and your expectations vary as a result. How does Clifford get to the met expectations level then? Well, I think it would have to boil down to just making it so that the Packers don't have to play the veteran quarterback roulette game that they would end up playing if something terrible were to happen to Jordan Love. If the Packers feel like they can do something more than just wait for it to be 2024 this year and Jordan Love gets hurt, they're going to need somebody to play quarterback. And Clifford, I think the Packers would even say this in a moment of candid honesty, that he's probably not going to carry them through eight or 10 games if Jordan Love got hurt, at least not right now. If Clifford can secure that number two quarterback spot, and make it so that they have that kind of confidence, I think that gets him very close to meeting expectations. I think that's what's going to happen. He seems like a bright kid. He seems like a a pretty good athlete. And I think he's going to be their number two, two quarterback all year. I also predict he's going to take a snap at some point this season, which sounds a lot more provocative than it is. He's just going to get into a game at some point. Fun prediction there. Oh, and by the way, we are doing predictions for every player that we talk about, whether they're big or small or somewhere in between. There's two predictions, though, for you for Sean Clifford. And we will, of course, review all these predictions at the end of the season. Finally, Jordan Love. Where's he at heading into year number four? He's got a newly inked contract extension that is mostly fake, but um, if even if it's only ceremonial, it does mean something, I guess, in that sense. There were some other roster moves that ex- affected his 2023 season that you may have heard about throughout this offseason. And he's coming into a starting role in roughly the same place experience-wise that Aaron Rodgers, as Aaron Rodgers was, as we detailed in another episode earlier this offseason. 
So as we said a couple times in the last episode, it's all in front of him at this point. He's got an offensive-minded head coach. He's had three years in the system. He's got young and talented skill position players around him who are learning at the same pace as he is. He's got a fairly solid offensive line in front of him. He's got difference makers at running back. Jordan Love is stepping into a pretty ideal situation here. I mean, you don't have Devontae Adams, but short of that, almost any everything you could ask for as a young quarterback is there for Jordan Love. Consequently, and just by the very nature of being the starting quarterback, we have high expectations for Jordan Love this year. Starting QB is always going to have high expectations, but weirdly enough, I think it's a, a lot like Sean Clifford. Most of the reasons for high expectations don't necessarily have a ton to do with Jordan Love. Like we said, he was drafted in the first round. That was not something he chose to have happen to him. The Packers ultimately chose him over Aaron Rodgers. That is something, no doubt, that he preferred because it allows him to advance his own career, but it's not something that he was like, yes, absolutely, ship that guy out of town. I hate Aaron Rodgers. Get him out of here. It wasn't like he was advocating for that behind the scenes. That's just, that's really not how business is done in the NFL. But he also does have the tools that made him a first-round pick in the first place. And we've made a lot of the idea of the toolsy but questionable guys that get taken at the end of the first round or early in the second round. We talked about the, the high miss rate on those guys. But the inverse is true for all of the guys that go in that range too. They all do have really great physical tools. We, we talked about Drew Locke for good reason uh, because Brian Gutekunst expressed some pretty specific interest in him. We talked about him as a comp for Jordan Love in you know months and years past. On paper, that's not that shouldn't be an insulting comparison because Locke was a big-armed, physically talented quarterback who played in something of a questionable system in college and had a lot of questions around him. But you could see the physical tools were there. And the physical talent is worth taking a shot on. Other circumstances notwithstanding with Love and I guess with Locke too, you understand the interest there. If nothing else, you know, taking, you know, offending other players on the roster out of it, taking uh, the expectations that come with being a highly drafted quarterback out of it, just looking at the prospect, you understand why they're interested. Interesting. You understand why teams go out of their way to find these guys. A uh, six foot three, two hundred and twenty something pound quarterback who can move, who's got a big arm. Yeah, you're interested. Obviously, you are. It's like somebody says, "Hey, do you want five hundred bucks?" You don't ask him why not a thousand bucks. You say, "Absolutely, I'm, I'm interested in the five hundred, for sure." The upside is there, and that is that has always been true of Jordan Love. And the upside is a big reason for the expectations that we have for him heading into his first season as the starter. So, how does he meet those expectations? I think it comes down to kind of a two pronged thing. Vibes and stats. The vibes are kind of squishy, but I think it's going to be the the main kind of factor around Jordan Love because stats are always going to have extenuating circumstances. They're always going to have reasons why they were too high or too low. I mean, we talked about Jared Goff's stats, and we'll again here in a second, uh, as a as a baseline for Love or as a comparison point for Love earlier this offseason, because Goff put up incredible stats last year, just the counting box score sort of numbers, 
But nobody is going to build their team around Jared Goff. No one is going out of their way to do that. Nobody really wants to. The same would be true for Jordan Love if he put up a comparable stat line this year. No one would be like, this definitely proves that he's an elite starting quarterback. It's a nice data point. I don't know if that's a pun. Pretty close. Are stats a data point? Metaphysical question there, I guess. But I think you see what I'm saying there. The stats aren't going to be completely explanatory. The vibes, though, while not completely explanatory either, you want him to make you feel like he's a legit starter. If he does feel like a legit starter, if he if it feels like he's making the Packers better instead of worse, if it seems like he's making them competitive, if he does those things, no matter how he p- performs statistically to a point, it's a win this year. If Jordan Love, you know, does all the, well, he really loves football sort of things and says all the right things and, you know, throws 11 touchdown passes this year and 1,800 yards over 17 games, well, the vibes kind of go by the wayside. So what about the stats? I think you're trying to get into the ballpark of a few of these statistical benchmarks. I think there's three or four different guys that you could look at as players you might want to set as maybe a floor or ceiling for Jordan Love. Start with 2008 Aaron Rodgers, 28 passing touchdowns, 13 interceptions, just over 400 yards, or 4,000 yards, excuse me, 4,038 yards to be precise. That's 237 per game in a 17-game season. So if you want to ballpark where Jordan Love should be going on a per-game stat sort of or passing yard sort of situation to get to 4,000 yards, about 237 per game. Rodgers that year also completed just under 64% of his passes, 63.6%, in fact. Pretty good year as his first year as the starting quarterback. Then you've got 2022 Aaron Rodgers. He threw 26 touchdowns against 12 interceptions, just under 3,700 yards, 64.6% completion percentage. There's another point of comparison. How about 2022 Justin Fields? A little bit more of a runner than Love is, but he ended up throwing 17 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, 2,200 yards, 60.4% completion percentage. Percent completion percentage. I think that's probably then like an absolute floor for love. Still not something we should discount entirely. And then you've got Jared Goff from 2022. 29 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, just over 4,400 yards, just over 65% completion percentage. If Jordan Love is in and among those kind of statistical outputs, hopefully comfortably higher than 2022 Justin Fields, I think we're on the right track. So let's make some predictions. Where is his statistical range for this year. For the guys that are among the the high-end contributors, I would really like to do a range this year, and we may extend that out to a few other guys. But I think if he can throw between, I think he will throw for between 3,600 and 4,100 yards this year. 4,100, not all that high in terms of a per-game average. That's just over 241 yards per game. It seems doable, especially if you believe that the Packers may be trailing in a noteworthy number of games this year, he's going to have opportunities to throw the ball. I also predict he's going to break 20 touchdowns this year, going to throw between 20 and 26 touchdown passes. Seems like a fairly comfortable range. Interceptions are going to come too. I think he throws at least 12 this year. First year starter, a little less accurate than Aaron Rodgers was, probably is going to lead to some more interceptions. I think he'll complete at least 62% of his passes. I think a lot of that is going to be manufactured because Lafleur is going to give him a lot of high-percentage looks, and they should be able to create some high-percentage looks with the amount of speed and athleticism the Packers have. 
guys should be able to at least get open in the short areas of the field. Uh, even if you can't get the deep passing game going, they should be able to get some easy short looks for Love in there. Hopefully that bumps up the completion percentage a little bit this year. I also want to go a little bit out on a limb and say that Love is going to throw for 300 yards in at least three games this year. For comparison, Aaron Rodgers did that zero times in 2022, quite famously, but four times in 2021, five times in 2020, four times in 2019, including two 400-yard games, and four times in 2018. He would have had five in 2018, but he was two yards short in one game. I think if we assume that the Packers are going to be trailing this year, 300 yards should come Love's way from time to time, just because they're going to need him to move the ball through the air and he's going to get opportunities to do so. Finally, I just want to say that he is not going to get benched for Sean Clifford at any point this year. That is just something that is not going to happen. It's been a popular take among some small corners of the Packers internet, people floating that as a possibility. The Packers are going to go down with the Jordan Love ship. If they've got to do it, they're going to. They're going to ride it all the way down. And there's really no reason not to. Sean Clifford is not the future. Why start him over Jordan Love at any point this year if you don't absolutely have to? If Jordan Love physically cannot go, okay, then go with Sean Clifford. But the Packers have so much tied up in love, sunk costs aside, they want every opportunity they can get to evaluate him. There is just no reason to bench him for performance, even if he is just playing like the 34th best quarterback in the league, not even one of the, not even playing like one of the 32 starting quarterbacks in the NFL. If he looks like he shouldn't play, they're going to give him to every opportunity to prove that he absolutely cannot play in the NFL. It's just, they're not going to bench him this year. It's just not going to happen. That's my love hardline take. It's about as hard and fast as I'm going to get on, on any player's takes this year. What do you think? What do you think about the Packers quarterbacks? Would love to hear from you. And I would actually, as we close out the episode today, love to hear about you for something from something else. We had a listener write into our Patreon asking for tips for uh, people heading to Green Bay for a game. Going up to Green Bay for the first time, wants some game day stuff to, to do and see, wants to make the whole experience as good as he possibly can. And what I would like you to do is look in the links and notes either on thepowersweep.com or in your podcast app uh, in the information related to this episode and send us a voicemail message uh, via the SpeakPipe uh, service that is linked in your notes there. I want you to tell me what is your one tip for somebody going to Lambeau. They're going up for a game. What should they do? What should they see? Where should they eat? Go in whatever direction you would like to go. And if we get enough of these, I want to compile them and put them together in a nifty little segment, see what people have to say. But if you have experience going to Lambeau Field, I know what I think, I know what I would do. I want to hear from you as well. Let's crowdsource a little bit of information, put together a little mini visitor's guide to people heading up to Green Bay for the first time. Let me know what you think. I want to hear from you. In the meantime, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would take a second and share this episode with someone you think is going to enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time.
on Blue 58.